Thank you for joining us another sermon podcast Q&A. We're just um, going to cover some questions from Pastor Sean's sermon last week on salvation and finishing up the story of Noah as we um, come to the close of our Genesis series. Um, and Pastor Sean talking about um, God remembering Noah, God choosing Noah, um, and then Noah's response of being um, giving a sacrifice of worship and praise to, to God in response to his salvation. So thank you guys for being here. Welcome, everybody. Let's dive into the questions. Number one is, is it possible for our heart to be truly captured by the gospel and us not respond in worship? No. Next question. Okay, there we go. Number two. Number two. No, I think, well, I think praise is, and worship is, is the overflow of being saved, so, and being captured by the gospel. So uh, one of the things I love you know, we used um, in the questions this week for small groups, we used Romans 9. Um, Romans 10, Paul continues to flesh out his grafting into the Gentiles. And in Romans 11, I think it is, he just, in the middle of this letter, breaks out in praise, you know, to the Lord. It's like he's, he's just so captured by what God is doing in saving people that he breaks out in praise. And I, just, I just think praise and worship is the natural overflow of a heart captured by the gospel, you know, and transformation in the image of Christ. So. I mean, I short answered it, but that's the answer. If you're saved, you 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 know you you see the fruits of salvation. What would you say during those times where people have been captured by the gospel, but they there seems to be this um, this certain stretch of disobedience for a while? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we'll be talking a little bit about that in First Corinthians. Paul seems to indicate the word that you hear a lot is carnality. Um, for one, it's a scary time. You know, I think a person should take that seriously. Uh, and I would say it's usually that their heart is being fixated on something that's idolatry. It usually is a, a sinful fixation. And I think in those, I mean, there's been times in my life, of course, like that. And I think in those moments, God is using that to root out an idol. You know, why 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 is my soul so downcast? What is going on? What am I believing? What is, what is shaping me that maybe a sinful thought pattern or an unbelief that the Lord is rooting out? And those times for me have been very much part of my sanctification and growing to be more like Christ. So, I don't know, what do you think? No, I agree. I I think it's those times I I I find myself sometimes when you forget to press into the gospel you can you you either begin to live like the old man or like the orphan or you you begin to believe the you become pharisaical in in your living you you uh you think that your righteousness is something special or or that it's your righteousness right um and so those times that i'm not pressing into the gospel are the times where i uh lose sight of um, living in response to the the new creature that I am in Christ. But when we do press into to the gospel as believers, um, you know, I, I think of our hearts captured by the gospel initially in conversion, but we need to make sure we're pressing into the gospel so that we can continue to remember uh, what God's done for us in Christ throughout our lives. And so the times where we're on that, that stretch of disobedience are the times that we're not remembering that we're new creatures. Right. And yeah. when we, we do press into it, we worship natural. I mean, that's the natural response to yeah. a heart Absolutely. capture. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think I think when a, a church begins to have kind of a, a dead feel to it, I think as a church we can forget the glories of the gospel and how what it means to be saved and and I just I pray at Coastal that never becomes stale to us, yeah. you know, and old to us, but we, we're captured. I think that's why you know, one of the ordinances of the Lord's Supper is to remind us frequently of this high cost of our new birth, and it just should capture our hearts daily. But I, I think for so long, some of my testimony, being surrounded by well-meaning people that the Lord used tremendously in my life, but I think the gospel for so long for me was presented as something relevant only to unbelievers. And once you became a believer, the gospel no longer had relevance to you. And so we kind of reduced it to this magical prayer, and, and, and that was all that there was and to it. And I, I remember when the God graciously kind of flipped the switch for me, and I realized that the gospel had to be connected to every—it had to be connected to every aspect of our lives, um, and the richness, the the— so simple a child can get it, but so deep you can never exhaust it. And uh, that, that was so rich and freeing for me to understand that. And so it, it's the gospel that uh, con- converts us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the gospel that sanctifies us as we press into it and as we're conformed more and more into the image of Christ. It's the gospel that perseveres us. It's the gospel that uh, one day when we stand before God— uh, clothed in the righteousness of Christ is the gospel that glorifies us, mm-hmm. and um, and so when I saw that thread connect, was a pivotal moment in my walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Where prior to that, it was something that I thought was just for non-believers or baby Christians. See, I've learned during these podcasts when you ask me a question, mm-hmm. it's just something you really wanted to talk about. So when I throw it back to you, we get what you really wanted to talk about. You're finally getting me after yeah, 11 years. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Just Why don't you just talk about what you want to talk about? Um, so why don't you ask your question <clears throat> and then answer it? Okay. So let's let's go back to... Let's go to question two. This uh, is predestination and election. <laughs> Here we go. De- question two, which I'm leads us to it. that question. Question two, uh, does God not choose some? Let's start, let's start with T for total depravity. We'll work through the five points work of Calvinism. Our way to P. Is that okay? Perseverance of the saints. Uh-huh. Um, so I mean, we had a nice little debate about this before we turned the microphones on. So Sorry. Um, you, you got something more important? Yeah, than, than the salvation of God and man. Um, we'll edit that out. You got you to gotta edit that out? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> actually, I, there is something higher than the salvation, and that's the glory of God and all of His character and all of His attributes. It's a good of, save. of which salvation is a part of that. We can't edit it out. You can't edit it. That's so it's good. in there. <laughs> um. So the debate is. I mean, it might be semantics, but the starting point is total depravity. And um, what, like I said in the sermon, when if election and predestination is frustrating to you. It's probably because you really haven't grasped total depravity and what man really deserves. So man, in rebellion to God, has chosen God's judgment and wrath on their own. You know, they're born into it, and and Adam, being the federal head, chose that, I guess, for the human race might be a better way of phrasing that. So we're born into God's 
wrath. That's what we deserve. And so God has chosen to save some. Um, that's the ultimate choice um, that God makes. So did he choose any for hell then becomes the debate or any for destruction. And I think at the starting point is no man already is headed that way, and God saves some. Um, but, you know, actually, I want to get what I think is really the heart of the question, but I'll let you dive into that further if you want. I mean, of course, in the debate, it, you're going to remain quiet on it. Of course, the debate is, isn't God, by choosing some and not choosing others, a choice? And you push me far enough, I might say, yeah, that's probably true. But, But I think the focus of the Scriptures is on God's grace to save I think the thing we lose perspective on quickly is we we fail to really grasp how undeserving grace is. And so it's 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 grasping the depth of, of depravity like you were saying and also like God would r- r- be righteous to allow us to spend an eternity in hell se- separated from everything lovely. Um, but he doesn't do that. Right? I, James Montgomery Boyce, great pastor, he he said, um, I think it was in one of his books that I read, but uh, one day when we stand before God, even the damned will ag- agree with the rightness of their damnation. And and so this out of eternity, we need to understand that it's, it is right for us to be separated from God. That's what's right. That's what's just. Um, but God satisfied that um, aspect of his character with him being holy by Christ being the substitute, him dying for the sins of the elect. And we treat salvation oftentimes as something that I should, that I'm entitled to, where we, we, we tend to fall into this entitled camp. Yeah. When I think, you know, and I, I don't, I would leave this up to you guys, I guess, I don't know how to do all this. I mean, we could even put up my teaching on Romans 9. I know it's a couple years old now, but, I, and that's why the small group questions this week had Romans 9. I mean, Romans 9 is the passage that Paul gives the most time to fleshing out election, and then he asks the very questions that we ask, which is wonderful. They're all the questions that I'm sure are being bantered in your small groups this week. Um and one of the ones that I love is is Romans 9, verse 19, where Paul writes, Well, then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them to do? I mean, that's kind of the heartfelt question. Like, that doesn't seem very fair. And and here's his answer. I can promise you it's it's going to require a humility to hear it, because it's at the end of the day, it's it's a submission to the authority of God. Verse twenty, Paul says, "No, don't uh, don't say that. Who are you, the mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me this way?'" Verse twenty one, when the potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration, another to throw into the garbage? In the same way, even though God has the right to show His anger and His power, He is very patient with those whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those on whom he has shown mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are the we are among those 
whom he selected both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. You know, so I think at the end of the day, it's a, it's we struggle, we still struggle with the authority of God. Adam and Eve struggle with the authority of God, and I think even as believers, sometimes we hear this doctrine, and it, there's that peace, that fleshly peace in you that struggles with the authority of God, and you know, He has mercy on whom He has mercy, He shows favor on whom He has favor, and um, that is a, a can be a difficult piece for us to submit ourselves too, but God has the right, like you said, He absolutely has the right to condemn all flesh, all mankind to hell, and in His mercy He has saved some, and in His grace He has saved some, so. The, so that, the, that's the unfair piece of it, right? The grace and mercy is God being unfair to us, and not giving us what we deserve, but giving us salvation. Right, there's, I mean, we've used this term a lot around coastal, especially around Christmas time, the idea of scandalous grace. I mean, we think the scandal is election. The scandal is the grace that God has saved us and wrapped himself in flesh and was tortured as a payment for sin. That's really the scandal. And, and so when we hear election, we get we get spun up on the wrong side of it. Um, and so... And God is gracious, and 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 so for me, through the years as I've settled in on this, I mean, I'm I've got I've got teenage children, right? And I'm raising teenage children, and so it comes to a place in your parenting where your children have to decide if they want to follow Christ or not. You can't do that, and I still rest in the character of God. If He saved them, He's going to save them. If He He hasn't, I rest in that too. And I even rest, and I will go to eternity future, praising him for his choices. Um, so at the end of the day, it's the question of do I rest in the character of God? And um, I, I think we even completely. I know this will lead us into the third question, but I, I think we even have to think about it in the terms of um, we, we could stand on the stage and say, um, uh, God has all authority and all power in in. Christians would give a hearty amen to that. We could say that the Great Commission will be successful, and Christians give a hearty amen to that. But we don't think deeply enough to understand that the reason why God has authority and the reason why the Great Commission will be successful is because God is completely sovereign over salvation. And so it, it really is for our good that God is both the author and the finisher of our salvation, uh, we couldn't declare that the great. We couldn't pray the prayer, uh, "Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven," if that meant that it depended on us being witty enough or convincing enough to get people to choose God. Uh, that's a that's a heavy load right there, and we couldn't have confidence that we would actually be able to be obedient to the final instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Um, how in the world could we possibly do that? Um, we can only do that because we're ministering in the authority of Jesus Christ and because Jesus says that all those God the Father's given to him John 10. Yeah, are his. It's John 10, and they, and, and they won't be snatched away. Well, and I think, I mean, to take that a step further, and of course the next question is a follow-up. This is a great question. Um, 
is as a parent, it, that's incredibly freeing to me too, because I do mess up as a parent. I don't do it right. I have provoked my children to anger when I shouldn't have. And I think if you think, man, it all depends on me and my presentation of the, the gospel to even my own children, you know, you're going to be in a constant state of depression and self-flagellation, beating yourself up because it's like, man, I, I did this wrong and just that wrong. And God, by His grace, uses the efforts that we offer and still saves people, you know, and my, my oldest son's going to get baptized this week, and, you know, he's at 18, is bearing a lot of fruits of being a Christian, and I can't wait to baptize him, and, uh, he, you know, if you want to ask what it's like at the preacher's house, you know, he'll tell you it's not perfect, you know, so to see him declare Christ as Savior is, to me, just gives more testimony to God and praise to God what he's done, even in my missteps, you know. It, it gives me confidence in my personal salvation, knowing that it it's not up to me to to secure it. It's God's secured it, and it has power over it. So when you start getting into that, unraveling the sovereignty of God and salvation, it becomes a mess quickly. Um, and that's, I think, the conclusion that we have to come to biblically. Which leads to our next question, which, which leads to an excellent question. follow-up to this one. So, so um, the question here is, um, can you discuss election and how that interrelates with our calling as Christians to still take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Yeah, so I think this is where I think when people talk about election and predestination, it gets the wrong stones get thrown at um, a Calvinist or someone who believes deeply in the sovereignty of God, that that means you don't do anything. And you I don't th- evangelize. You don't, yeah, it's quite... It's a caricature that was painted for me. Very much so, and I think it's quite the opposite. In fact, I would say my belief that God is sovereign over salvation fuels my evangelism. It, 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 I'm actually more confident because I know He's going to save people, and you know His adopted children are out. I always liken it a little bit to an Easter egg hunt. I don't know if that's the right language, but it's my job to present the gospel. He's saving them. We get to go find His kids, you know, if you will, in every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that's if you read Romans eight, nine, and ten very closely. That's what Paul's saying. We thought the great mystery of the New Testament is this is open to the Gentiles, and he and he what Paul's doing in Romans is actually building this the sovereignty of God over salvation case, and he finishes in chapter either 15 or 16 with asking for money. Say, I need you guys to send me. I'm going to the Gentiles to find his kids. And and, and so to me, it fuels what we do, and it's not an either-or. We should, you know, in our personal lives, in, in at Coastal, we should present the gospel, invite whosoever will may come, knowing that the Holy Spirit is using his his commu- the community, the Word of God, and His Spirit to draw people. These are the means of His grace to save His children. And so it doesn't negate the means, and in fact, in my mind, it fuels the means. It gets me more excited that um, God's doing the work, and He's drawing people to Himself. All we have to do, our responsibility is to present the gospel. God's invited us to participate in a plan that will be successful. Nobody wants to be on the losing team, yeah. and we're not on the losing team. We're on the winning team, and God's gracious enough to the same God that ordained the end from the beginning is also the God that ordained the means. And you're mentioning uh, reading that cluster 8, 9, and 10 together, um, I think is spot on, because even in 10, uh, Paul just finished in 9 building this high view of the sovereignty of God. Um, and, and then in Romans 10, he says, 
How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Um, I, I love that because Romans 9 gives me that confidence in, this, in the sovereignty of God. And then Romans 10 shows me that God is also using me as the means by which to um, sovereignly save his elect. And so... Uh, if God's put a desire, and so it gets to the uh, the the old question of what about the people in third world countries that have never heard about Christ? What you know? What what do we say to them? And it's well, if if the Lord is drawing them to Himself, we also trust that the church is being obedient, and God's drawing the church to be obedient to passages like this and go and bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people that He's drawing to Himself. Um, and so sometimes we. We throw questions out out like that, to, and I, I don't quite get their point because it's, to me, God's the author of salvation and the same God that created the world out of nothing, the same God that wrapped himself in flesh and died on the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit resurrected from the dead, the same God that regenerates us by the power of the Holy Spirit can certainly call a believer to get on a plane and fly to the jungle and evangelize and God's people and will unre- be there waiting for them. And God's people will be there waiting for them to receive the good news of the gospel. And so um, we, we we need to trust the sovereignty of God and be obedient and labor in um, the the task that he's called us to, which is a, uh, this task of, of stewarding the gospel, reaching every tribe, every tongue, every nation um, with energy. And I think for me, it... It's it fuels missions for me at Coastal, and I, I think, you know, I, I when I preach on the Great Commission at Coastal, which I do at least once a year, um, sometimes multiple times, but um, I really believe God is with the church that captures this vision. He fuels the need, the He gives the supplies to that group of people that are serious about taking the commissioning of Christ, and I think. If you want to see dying churches, you will see churches that no longer care about the Great Commission. They say they they would never. It's all in all their literature and stuff, but but they're not passionately fulfilling. They're not channeling resources um, to making sure not just that their current ministries are being funded and resourced, but that they have an eye to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I'll tell a side note. This is another story. Uh, it's a true story, though. Um, my first missions trip, I was 18 years old. I spent eight weeks in Papua New Guinea. I spent six weeks in one particular village in Papua New Guinea called the Kitiwa Tribe. Um, went there with Pioneers Missions. Um, the name of my the missionary that we spent the summer with, his name was Alvin Hall. And um, and so Alvin was uh, actually uh, hiking through Kitiwa. Kitiwa was not the target village that Pioneers had in mind. It was a bigger tribe that they thought would be more uh, strategic to reaching the inward parts of Papua New Guinea. And so I, Al, uh, Alvin was hiking through Kitiwa, and he was heading to another village, and he ended up staying in Kitiwa. And when Pioneers reached him, he just said he he felt like uh, God was impressing upon him this was the village that he was supposed to start the first church in. Uh, anyway, through the preaching of the gospel, learning the language, preaching the gospel, first response was a man that ended up becoming the pastor of uh, of the church that he planted. His name was Pastor Medwa, and Pastor Medwa um, later told 
Alvin, that the missionary, that um, he, and I think this is a little bit of James, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Medwa had looked at creation and acknowledged what he had been believing was not true, and he kind of cried out to this God he didn't know. He said, if you'll teach me your ways, I'll respond. And it's just, to me, I don't think there's anybody out there who's heart is being drawn to God. The guy goes, oh, I'm not interested. I mean, that's a false understanding of yeah. the God of the Bible. I mean, again, when we're dead in our sins, we don't want God. Uh, but if you draw near to God, He's going to draw near to you. And He ended up planting this church there. So, you know, I always tell that story, say, I've been to one of those villages that had never heard. And, you know, there were people waiting that God was already stirring in them, uh, awakening belief, and they just needed to hear... Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing I would say about, you know, the what is the what about those who never heard? Like that should give us all pause in our high class lifestyles that we live and go, man, am I do I really believe this? Am, am I willing to go? Am I willing to downsize my lifestyle and and make sure I'm giving more and being a part of, you know, taking um the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Why? Why? Why am I not going? Um, we certainly have the the resources in America to probably dump resources in every untapped, unreached people in, in the world if we were serious about it. And and so it does give me and us pause. I think to ask that question of, it's like you said, it's an easy question to ask. But if you're going to push it far enough, like, what are you doing about it? You know. Um, because I, even a Calvinist and an Arminian would both agree that someone, I think, would say, um, and push, 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 not pushing them to extremes, but what I would say conservatives would say, that unless you repent of your sin and believe in the personal work of Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. So, so we've got to get the gospel there. Um, and what's fueling our so what, you know, at that point. So uh, yeah, the, I don't know if that helps. God being sovereign over sure. salvation doesn't nullify doesn't the great commission. The means at any you know, we, we would be being disobedient to, to his word to negate the means. And for me it fuels the means that I know God is going to save his children. And and it even gives me grace in the missteps of my life and the means that we use. We you, you know we we should make so there's this tension that knowing that God saves His children. The one tension is I want to do it with excellence. I want to do the, I want to be the best parent I can. I want to be the best pastor I can. I want our service to go as great as it can to honor the Lord and do the best we can for the gospel. But it also gives me grace in that you know. And I think you know one of the things if you're new you know new to coastal you'll see like we try to do a good Sunday morning service, but we're not hung up on production. If something goes wrong, it goes wrong. So if the camera you know, falls we can off let, the Yeah, seat. if the camera falls down, we, you know, like, okay, we did the best we could this week. We'll work to get that adjusted next week. But, you know, God still saves his people. It doesn't have to be perfect for God to save his people. So is that camera still working, by the way? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, good. Scott Shear, we're talking to you. <laughs> not to name names. We're not to name names. Out. Anyway. Well, that was great, guys. Thanks for um, answering those questions and being here. Thank you out there for listening. As always, if you have any questions, please email them to us, sermonquestions at gocoastal.org. Thanks. <laughs>